Now, you know it's got to be a kid's service because I got this out, don't you? As <laughs> soon as this comes out, you know, well, the adults are already there going, all right, okay. <laughs> it's okay. This, I'm hoping this will be good for you as well. Let's put it in the, so if children want to, they can come sit down. You don't have to. You can stay in your chairs. That's pretty chilled, I'm hoping. So we've just had communion. And I get to tell you my favourite story. Yeah. I get to tell you the story that has changed my life more than anything else that I've ever heard or been told or seen. I get to tell you an amazing, amazing story. And it's a story that we've just remembered. The story of why we do communion. So who here, out of you children, who has a favourite story? No one has a favourite story. Oh, cute. Yes, go Max. The what? The hole in the road. I've not heard it, but it sounds intriguing. <laughs> Harry Potter? Skylanders? Okay, my boy, oh yes... Star Wars? Yeah. The Hobbits. The Hobbits. So, yeah. What not to do if you turn invisible, yes, of course. (laughs) We have problems with this at home. It's mainly, it seems like I turn invisible when I ask them to do something. (laughs) And uh, they never hear me. The one thing that my boys also love, their favourite story is this. Any story that has heroes in it. Any story where there's a battle for victory. Is, is that right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, of course he's always going to say no. Don't ask your kids to do anything in public. Right. So I'm going to start this story, and we're going to start it in the upper room. The upper room, there was Jesus, he's gathered with his disciples and they're all there and they're all sitting around and Jesus is doing some pretty unusual things. They're unusual even for Jesus. One of the things he does is he washes everyone's feet. He goes around and washes all his disciples' feet. It's not something that you'd see often, especially in our day and age. Would you wash my feet? No. I wouldn't wash my feet. Um, (laughs) I do wash my feet. Let me just... So in the upper room... Man, this is going well. In the upper room, Jesus was there with his disciples. They're doing something. But Peter... Peter, now we, we kind of harp on about Peter. This Peter the Apostle, he didn't quite get it right. Seemed like a bit of a bumbling fool at times, speaking before he even thought about things. But Peter, he was actually quite a sensitive guy. Because even in this time at the last, last Supper at the Upper Room, he could sense there was not something quite the same with Jesus. Jesus seemed a little bit heavier, a little bit preoccupied, almost. It seemed like there was something that Jesus was struggling with that was beyond the normal. 
And Peter, being Peter, he likes to just get in there and help out. And so Jesus goes along and they're having the Passover meal. And the Passover meal is to do with remembering when God rescued the Israelites from slavery. And Jesus is explaining this to them, saying that, do you know, in the times of old, God rescued the Israelites from slavery. I'm going to rescue the world from slavery. And disciples didn't know what that meant. He said, so I have to die that others may live. And the disciples couldn't get what that meant. And Peter said, and as he's saying this, and Jesus saying, and, and, and when they take me, guys, when they take me, you're all going to scatter and flee. Now, Peter, he'd picked up that there was something heavy, something different about Jesus, that he wasn't quite who he used, what he's expecting him to be. And Peter goes, no, that's not, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to tell him that, no, I'm, I'm with him to the end. So Peter speaks up and he goes, Jesus! I'm with you to the very end. Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to come away. If you die, I'll die with you. Peter said, I'm there all the way. And not only that, not only that, all the other disciples goes, yeah, Peter, that's right. We're with you too. We won't leave Jesus. We won't leave. And Jesus still had this kind of a heaviness. Do you know what I mean by heaviness? It's just a little bit... A little bit seemed to be a little bit more somber about life. That that joy seemed to be a little bit more hidden in Christ at that moment. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he goes, "Peter." With the amazing thing with Jesus is he knows where you're at, and he goes to Peter, "Peter, I know your heart, mate. I know where you where you want to be, but tonight you're going to tell three different people." You don't even know who I am. Can you imagine that? Here's Peter, full of power, and, and, and he's really going for Jesus. No, Jesus, I'll do. Jesus says, You will not even say you know me. And then Jesus goes, Come, guys, come, let's go. Let's go to the garden now. Let's, I need to pray. So Jesus moves from the upper room and he takes his disciples with him. And they move along to the garden of Gethsemane. That's right. And then in the garden, Jesus even seems to be even more of a weight upon his shoulders. It almost seems as if there was something almost crushing him. He seemed to be so, so concerned with something. Something seemed to be consuming all of who he was, and, and the disciples didn't know. And Jesus says, I need to pray, guys. I need strength. I need strength of God. I need to go pray. I need to go pray. So he went into the deeper into the garden, and he said to Peter, James, and John, he says, come with me, guys. It would be really great if you could pray for me. Pray with me. And so the three disciples, they sat down. Now, Peter, once again, he's like, Jesus, I'll do it. I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to prove to you that not only would I go to the end, not only would I die for you, I'm going to pray as long as you do as well. So as the minutes tick by, Jesus is praying and, and he's really asking God for strength. And there's Peter and James and John and they're praying really like, like we do in church. We start off with a lot of vigor 
and then the words kind of dry up, and then it's kind of like, I'm pretty sure Peter goes, I think, guys, I think this is a moment of silent reflection we need now. Come, let's, let's be quiet and close our eyes for a while. And what happens when it's, it's, all, when it's late at night, you've had a big long day, you've had a nice big meal, and you're sitting down in the dark, and you close your eyes. What tends to happen? Probably fall asleep. Now that doesn't even need to be dark for me to fall asleep. I can do it on the couch at any time. But here's Peter, James and John. They start off with, with great passion and then all of a sudden they fall asleep. And Jesus comes back and he goes, guys, come on, wake up, wake up. Please, pray with me. My time is near. I, there is my mission that I must complete from God. It is right here and and it is more than I can almost bear. The weight of it is, is greater than I even imagined. Pray with me, guys. Pray with me, please. Peter and John and James are like, yeah, no, no, we'll do that. We'll do that. Come on, guys. Come on. And once again, up they go and they're praying and they're praying and the minutes tick by and they go into the silent prayers again. And they're asleep once more. And Jesus comes back and goes, guys, once again, this, but this time Jesus comes back and there's something different. Jesus has changed. The, the weight seems to have shifted off him. Not only does he seem that he was preoccupied with something, now he seems to be absolutely, positively certain of what things will happen now. Somehow Jesus has changed and Peter sees this. He's like, he's different again. And Jesus goes, it's no worries, guys. Don't worry about it. I know you want to pray. I know you're willing. That's... I understand it's late and it's hard. Sometimes your body just wants to sleep. He says, okay, my time's near. Come, let us go. And so Jesus walks back to where the other disciples are. And as they're there, a crowd of people, a mob of people, come with swords and clubs and torches. They're coming up the hill into the garden. And one of Jesus' disciples comes up to Jesus and kisses him on the cheek. A sign that Jesus, this is the man that the mob needs to grab. And Jesus, he doesn't say, he doesn't say anything when they grab hold of him. But Peter, he's like, this is my moment to prove to God. This is my moment to prove to Jesus. I'm going to fight to the end. I'm going to die with him. This is a final battle. And out he's with his sword, he pulls it. And he slices off the ear of a servant was there to take hold of Jesus. And Jesus goes, Peter, Peter, put that away. You don't know, mate. This is not it. Don't you know that I could call an army down? I could call an army of angels. Who knows how powerful an angel is? Very powerful, isn't it? Yeah, more powerful than any person. And Jesus says, I could call an army of them down, Peter. What do you think your little flimsy sword's going to do? No, Peter, this is not the way. And Jesus, he picks up the ear and he heals it back onto the servant's head. Wow. The man that had come to grab Jesus and drag him to a false trial is a man that Jesus shows compassion heals. At that moment, Peter's like, I don't know what to do. I'm willing to die, but I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do nothing. 
and he's gripped with fear. He can't fight them. Jesus told him not to. So he does all that he knows to do and he runs. He runs away as, as fast as he can and, and all the disciples scatter. And Jesus is left all alone. One man taken by the mob. They take him to the high priest's house and they set up a mock trial. That's not real. They bring a whole heap of people in who didn't like Jesus to falsely accuse him. Who, do, who knows what it feels like to have someone say you did something you didn't do? Yeah. And where does that normally happen, kids? At school. Good answer. Whew, lucky it wasn't home. At school, exactly. School is a place. And Jesus had a whole row of people lining up out the door to say, I know what he did. He did something wrong. They all came in. They all said he did something wrong. But none of it was, was true. It wouldn't stick Even the the high council, all these Sadducees, all the high priests and elders and leaders of the time, even they said, oh, this, these false stuff, it's pretty rubbish. It doesn't really hold any weight. Come on, guys. Think of something better. Think of something better to accuse him with. So then, in walks one man. He goes, I heard, I heard he said he would destroy the temple and build it in three days. Well, who can do that? It took years to build this temple. That must be, he must be saying he's God. And the high priest, right then, he's like, that's enough. We don't need any more people coming in. Is this true? Tell us right now, are you the Christ? And Jesus, absolutely assured of what he had to happen, absolutely knew what he had to go through. Now there seems to be a peace upon him. And he goes, it's true, what you just said. I am the Christ. And the next time you see me, you see me in power. And that was it. The whole group of people were enraged. How dare you say you're God? You can't say that. Do you know what they did? They were so angry. Do you know what they did? They ripped their clothes. Don't do that when you're angry. And they said, that's it. We don't need anyone else now. He has blasphemed. He said he's God. That's enough to kill him. And the very angry people, do you know what they did then? They blindfolded him. They spat on him. And they hit him and say, if you're God, you can say who hit you. Come on, what's my name? And he said not a word. And then the high priests and the elders and the leaders said, come, we don't, have, we don't have the right to kill him. Let's take him to the Romans because they're good at killing people. Let's take him there. So they took Jesus and they put him before the leader of that area for the Romans called Pilate. And, of course, they couldn't say, look, Pilate, this guy said he's God. I think you need to kill him. Because it meant nothing to the Romans. They had loads of gods. In fact... Caesar was worshipped as a god for them. So for them, they didn't. It wasn't that big a deal. But do you know what they said? They come and they accused him. They said, 
He doesn't say he's God. He's saying that he's king. He's king of the Jews. Caesar doesn't rule here anymore. This Jesus, he's saying he's the ruler of this place. Well, that, that did desire. That did cause the Romans to go, yes, he must die for that because no one rules here but Caesar. So, having been accused of being king of the Jews, Pilate puts him in trial and talks to him and a vast array of other accusations are thrown against Jesus and he says not a word. He doesn't say anything. All people are lying about him and Jesus doesn't say a thing. And they find no wrong with him and Pilate goes, I can't find anything wrong with him. Maybe I'll just, surely I'll release this guy. And they go, no, we don't want him released. We want him crucified. Crucify him, they cried. Crucify him. Pilate was not a good guy. Pilate, being weak and just wanted to settle the people down, he thought, oh, this is getting out of hand, kind of like when you kids go crazy. I'm a bit like that. I'm like, wife, it's getting out of hand. (laughs) Pontius Pilate was a bit of a Nancy, and he's like, this is getting out of hand. And so he goes, fine, do what you want. Do what you want. So they take him and they say, carry your cross, carry it yourself, but he can't carry it because they've been so cruel and mean to him. He's, he's so weak, he hasn't slept for days now. He hasn't slept all night and he's, he's been in trial all day. Thanks, I only need one. And so up the hill he goes and, and they call in another guy to help him carry the cross and they get him up onto the hill And a few of the disciples have started to come back. Not many of them, a few. And then what they did, the Roman soldiers were crucifying three guys, Jesus and two people that deserved it. But when they put Jesus on the cross, he was different to the other guys. The centurion, the officer, the guy in charge... He was like, this isn't the same as the other guys we've nailed to the cross. Why is he different? He almost seems to accept what he has to go through. This is not the same as these guys. We had to have four or five guys hold him down to get him on the cross. This guy, he almost seems willing to go to it. What's the guy? What? Who's willing to go to a cross to die? This is crazy. And on that cross... As Jesus hung there, the whole sky was darkened. The clouds so thick that it seemed like night had reappeared. Darkness had settled down and Jesus gave up his last breath and he says, it's finished, it's finished. I have done what you called me to do, Father. It is finished. Sin on the cross, so dark, had seemed to triumph over the king of kings, had seemed to triumph over Jesus. The darkest moment in history has now occurred. Jesus has died on the cross. His followers, most of them have ran. No one's there but a few women and a few of the disciples. Now, normally it takes a long, long time for a person to die on the cross. But this Jesus, he did not. He gave up his 
his last, and he died. And the centurion there, he goes, surely this guy was the son of God. The earth shook. The sky was darkened. This was like, this was like no other death he had ever seen. And he had done hundreds of these. And never had he seen a guy die like this. This is, this is something out of this world. This must have been God. There was a man there who was part of the high council. And normally he would have been one of the guys who would have been there to accuse Jesus. But it said that he had not, he was arriving in from a town, a Jewish settlement called Arimathea. His name was Joseph. And he came and he went to Pilate. He was a well-known man. And he said to Pilate, Pilate, can I have the body of Jesus? I want to bury him in the tomb. For he was seeking the kingdom of God. He wanted to see God come. But Pilate goes, surely you don't mean he's dead already. He can't be dead already. This takes days for these guys to die. How is he dead already? Go send for the centurion to tell me, is it true? Centurion come, he had seen this guy die. He knew he was dead. He had seen it happen. He had actually witnessed it. And he said, yes, Pilate, it's true. He's dead. There is no doubt at all. He is dead. And Pilate goes, fine, do what you want with his body. What's it to me? So Joseph takes his body. He takes it along with another guy called Nicodemus. And they bury it in a tomb. And they put it in the tomb and and Jesus' body is in there. They wrap it in linen cloth, as that's what they used to do. And they rolled a big stone in front of it and they sealed that stone. Now, the Pharisees, they knew, they knew that Jesus would try to escape because he had said he'd rise in three days and they didn't believe, no, he won't arise. What's going to happen is his disciples are going to come and try and steal him. So what we'll do is we'll put some guards there. And they weren't just like ordinary guards. These were Roman soldiers. They weren't scared of anything. They had been to battle many times. And here they are guarding the tomb. And the other thing the Romans guards always did is they never had more people asleep than they had awake. So whenever they were on guard, there would always be people on guard and some people sleeping. They would always be guarding no matter what time of night it was. So here they are, they've sealed the tomb, they've got guards on it. And the other thing that has happened was the ladies who had seen Jesus died, they, they noted where his tomb was. They saw him laid in the tomb. They knew where it was because they said, oh, we've got to come back. We've got to come back on Sunday to finish off the burial process because now we have to go home. The Sabbath's starting. We can't do anything now. We must rest, and the next day we will come. So they knew where it was. They took a mental note because they had to come back. So that's what they did. And the next day... They knew exactly where it was, so they came back. And when they came back, the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away, and there was an angel there. 
on the stone. And the guards, these big, strong, feared-nothing type guys, were pretending to be dead on the ground because they were so afraid of this angel. In fact, you could almost imagine them with an eye open trying to sneak away slowly so they wouldn't be seen. And some of these guys, they ran back to the Pharisees, they ran back to the elders of the, and the leaders, and they said, do you know what? We tried to stop it, but I just, it was a big angel, and I don't know if you've ever fought an angel, we haven't, so we don't really know the rules of engagement, so we thought best to run. And the, and the leaders of the time goes, well, we can't say that, that won't work. Here, here, I'll give you a load of money, just pretend that the disciples took his body. And so they didn't, they, the, the Pharisees tried to hide that Jesus had risen. But the ladies, they went into the tomb and they saw that it was empty. No one there anymore. Just as the cross was empty, now the tomb was empty. Jesus had risen. And other disciples came along. They ran along. They didn't believe the ladies. Oh, no, this can't be true. They ran and had a look too. It was definitely empty. The greatest story and the greatest battle had been fought and won. And the tomb now was empty. No longer anyone on the cross. No longer anyone in the grave. It was completely and utterly empty. The only thing that remained was his clothes. And they also were empty. Jesus had risen. He had defeated sin. He had defeated death. It was over. He had won. Death was defeated. No more. Gone. Death could no longer hold. Death had no hold. And this bit, this bit, this is the gold bit. Because the temple, because the tomb and the cross is empty, because sin is defeated, because death no longer has a sting, we can be full. We now have the freedom to be full of the very power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is saying to us today, you are fully free and freely full. You are fully free and freely full. There is no cost to pay. The price has been paid. You are free forever. And you are freely full. The abundant life is this, that the fullness of God now lives within us, if you so accept it. And as you remember the empty tomb, as you crack open your empty Easter eggs and you look inside and they're not full of chocolate, remember this, the world promises a lot of empty things, but the emptiness of the tomb, the emptiness of the cross, it it promises fullness. It promises the fullness of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is my favourite story. Because like the tomb, my soul was empty. Like the cross, my soul echoed the emptiness of humanity. 
But the promise of God is not empty. The promises of God is fullness. And as we remember the empty tomb today, I remember the fullness of life that God has given me, the abundant life, the abundant life giver. We have the fullness of life because we have the one who is full of life. So today, remember this. The empty tomb means that we get to be full. Now, children, we have something extra for you. We have an Easter egg hunt. And we've got some little plastic eggs that are empty. There's nothing in them. It's not, they're not even made of chocolate. You could try to eat the plastics. Your parents wouldn't like it. You wouldn't like it in a day or so either. The plastic eggs are hidden out the back there. Now listen to me. You need to go find one plastic egg. One plastic egg. And if you see another, you may help some of the little kids to find a plastic egg as well. When you get this empty egg, you need to come back here to me. And I will give you a box of full... Well, it's not. It's just an Easter egg, yeah. I'll give you an Easter egg. I'll exchange your empty plastic egg for something that will fill your tummy. Okay? So, do you hear? So, what you need to do, I think Ruth's going to go open the back door. So, you find one and bring it back here, and you can help others to find it. For the adults who. Sorry, there's no Easter eggs for you adults. You get cold, hot cross buns. I mean, that's what. What can I say? There is. Next door, there is tea and coffee. And cold hot cross buns, you're more than welcome to those now. Thank you guys, bless you, and remember, the fullness of God is for you. Amen.